Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. And you'll notice in verse 5, as we get into this, notice he says, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves. The idea is, just as there is this order of government, now, young people, you submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another, and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Notice that elders are to shepherd under the authority of the great shepherd. The great shepherd, Jesus Christ. It's his church. Today on Truth in Christ, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Thanks for joining us today for our Bible study. In the next three series, Pastor Rob finalizes Peter's first epistle in chapter 5. Today we learn that as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we should be submissive to one another. Peter begins this word of humility to younger people in contrast to the elders he has just addressed. But he soon realizes that it is of application to all of us to be of humble heart to each other. Let's join Pastor Rob for today's study. So let's look at First uh, Peter chapter 5. We're going to finish this chapter hopefully today. Let me just read it to you. It says, The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. And here's the exhortation. Shepherd the flock which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, nor for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. And he goes on and he says in verse 5, Likewise, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober and be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in all the world. You... Uh, But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then the very end of it is, by Silvanus, our faithful brother, 
I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a holy kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. And the last time we got together, we really looked at the first four verses, and we spent more of the time talking about just the idea of what a shepherd is and what a shepherd isn't, and what a shepherd is supposed to do, his role. And uh, that, that was one of my favorite studies, to be honest with you. And I really enjoyed that. And this morning, I just want to give you a little bit different angle on this. Because notice, if you could underline in your Bible, in the first four verses, underline the word elders. The elders, underline that. It's presbyteros, and that, that's the Greek word. And then also fellow elder, underline that word. It's sim presbyteros, and, and, and it's just a fellow, a fellow elder. And then in verse 2, underline the word overseers. And that Greek word is episcopo. Episcopeo. And then finally, in verse 4, underline chief shepherd. And that Greek word is archipoimen, which I'm probably butchering the Greek, and that's okay. But one of the things that we see in this, and we're going to see as we get into verses 5 through 7 as well, Peter here is going to be drawing a, a similarity between what we read in verses 1 through 4, and then again in uh, verses, verses 5 through 7. And one of the things that we can see in these first seven verses is the fact that God is a God of order. He's a God of order. In that verse 1, we saw the word presbyteros, and that's just an older man, an older person. And and that um, is is an elder, uh, someone who is older, who's got experience. And then we looked at that word um, episcopeo, excuse me, and that's the word for overseers. And that literally is someone who takes the oversight, someone who diligently looks after. And it's usually an individual, as opposed to presbyteros, which is a group of elders. An episcopal uh, or an overseer is a, usually a person overseeing a fellowship. And of course, we see Jesus, the chief shepherd, being ruler and reign over all. You know, in the Old Testament, the government uh, of God was very apparent, meaning that it was a theocracy, meaning that God reigned over all. His word, he said what he meant, he meant what he said, and Moses and the children of Israel would follow the Lord. So God would speak to Moses, and Moses would be aided by Aaron and the Levitical priesthood, and then underneath them would be the elders of the 12 tribes, the the, the heads of those 12 tribes. And so God is a God of order. There is a government, if you will. And the lack of government, what is there? Chaos. That's why even in our country, there's a government. Wherever there's uh, peace, there's probably some kind of form of government. And the lack of government is a vacuum, and that results in chaos. We've seen that in times recent. And then we know that when Saul came into being, the first king of Israel, and then it became a monarchy, but even still, God had laid down his law. And even though it was a monarchy, because Israel wanted to be like all the nations around them, God was still, he, he already gave his code in a sense. He already gave his word. And now Saul was to be the leader, and then he would have men under him. And in the Bible, we see at least two, maybe three different types of church government. Two, we can see that were effective, and, and a third that really wasn't effective at all. And the first one that we see was this idea of a rule by a bishop or an episcopos or an overseer. 
And we see that in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And a fellowship that is based upon this kind of government or a denomination, it's like the Episcopal Church. That's where they get their name, Episcopal. It comes from Episcopos, which means a, a board of elders are the ruling, the one who are kind of um, the ones hearing from the Lord, and they're distributing that down to the people. And another, a second form of leadership is... I'm sorry, I, I totally messed that up there. The overseers are the Episcopos. That's a, it's usually one individual. I'm sorry, I totally, my eyes skipped. And I think it's just the anesthesia still, I don't know. <laughs> Only kidding. So let me back up really quickly here. <laughs> the overseer or the Episcopo, Episcopeo, is a man overseeing a, a body. Okay? And we see that in the Episcopal Church. But the second form of church government we see there in um, the first couple verses of 1 Peter 5 is the Presbyteros. And these are ruling elders. And we also see that in the scriptures as well. We see that in Acts 14, verse 23. And in this denomination, the Presbyterians are those who are governed by a body of elders. Okay, And so, I don't know if that makes sense to you, but that's why we have denominations. Some believe that it's just one person. Some believe it's a board of elders. And there's also a third, which has developed through church history, and that's the congregational rule. And there's really no scriptural support or effectiveness in this form of government. That's where the people rule, where everybody just kind of makes up their own rules as a congregation. It becomes like a democracy where people vote, and, you know, and that's really not very effective. And um, there's not much support for that, although there is uh, attempts in the Bible where that's been tried to be made. But Calvary Chapel, our movement that we're in, is really more closely related to the Episcopal Church, in a sense, and the Moses model that we talked about earlier, meaning God speaks to a person, that you know, like myself, and and then I would share that, and then there'd be a a board of elders under me, and then then all of you. And so God has an order, and he is a God of order. And you'll notice in verse 5, as we get into this, notice he says, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves. The idea is, just as there is this order of government, now, young people, you submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another, and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Notice that elders are to shepherd under the authority of the great shepherd. The great shepherd, Jesus Christ. It's his church. It doesn't belong to anybody. It belongs to him. And so I get the, the wonderful privilege of being a, a pastor. I get the, uh, the, the privilege of doing what I do. And the Lord speaks to me, and, I get, and he speaks to you as well. <laughs> but he speaks to me, and I, share, I get to share with you these things. And what a wonderful, what a wonderful privilege. But the idea of submit is to be under obedience Young people, be in obedience to your elders. That includes your parents, by the way. And you know it's unfortunate, but in some fellowships, there's a civil war. There's the young people, and there's the older people, and they don't understand each other. And it's very natural, it's very normal in the flesh to to see that kind of division. But in the church, it ought not to be that way. You know, in in some fellowships, there is an us versus them mentality, meaning us, uh, whoever it is, the young people versus the older people. And there's this misunderstanding. But I want to encourage the older and the more spiritual to be able and to be willing to bear with the younger folks. Because you remember what it was like when you were young. 
full of energy, thought you had all the answers. And that's just part of youth, isn't it? Did anybody not feel that when they were in their teens? You just felt like you could go out and grab the world by the tail and you had all the answers? There is. There's a point in your life where you feel like you got it all together, like you understand. And then only later do you realize how wonderful and you know, knowledgeable your parents were. But that's the kind of thing. So those who are older and more spiritual, be, be willing to bear with the immaturity even of those who are younger. Because you were there once. Don't let their attitudes sometimes put you off. And those of you who are younger, don't think you have it all together. And think because you got the technology that somehow the older folks are no longer valid any longer. Let me tell you, they're the greatest resource of the church is, are those who are older. I used to think that older people, when I was in my teens, and um, I used to kind of look down on older people because I saw them as frail physically. And so I didn't think they really had anything to offer because they couldn't certainly hide or slide behind a boat going Mach 12. You know, down in Florida, I mean, they, they couldn't do all these things that I could do. So they were really of no use to me. I mean, if you can't, you know, uh, run on fire through the woods, you know, there's really no use, you know. But the Lord, over time, made me aware of how valuable older people are. They've been through life. They've been through it all. And, and you look at an older person, you'd be surprised at the life experience they have. And younger folks, all of us, anybody here who is younger than the person maybe next to you, remember that regardless of the frame that you see before you, that person has, has gotten a lot of even earthly wisdom even earthly wisdom. And if they're a Christian, they've got spiritual wisdom. And tap into that. Submit yourself to them willingly. And older folks, submit to the younger willingly too. Love on them. I tell you, when that really happens, that's when a fellowship, something really wonderful happens. And I'm thankful that our fellowship here is not, we don't have this great divide as some do. But let's learn to love and to submit to one another with respect but especially that the younger submit to those who are older. And may our fellowship never be a battleground of some cultural war. When we've gotten that place, we've, we've missed everything. We've missed everything. In Exodus 20, it says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. Honor your mother and your father. Honor your elders, those who are older than you. It's very natural, again, to, be, to rebel and to seek independence. But we must learn that submission. Notice at the end of verse 5, it says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Do you really want to resist God in, in, in pride, to resist him? In, in James chapter 4, we, we were just here a couple of uh, months ago, actually. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. He will lift you up. Humble yourselves. You know, in our culture today, no one wants to be humble. They want to be exalted. They want to be the next Tiger Woods, the next Lady Gaga, the next Taylor Swift. Any of these names sound familiar? They want to be the next Tom Cruise or Bradley Cooper or whoever the hotshot actor is in Hollywood. People want to be exalted. Being humble is like foreign to American culture. But it's very normal for a Christian to be humble, to desire to take the lower place, to be willing to be last, to not always desiring to be first, because what that is is covetousness, isn't it? It's, it's a desire for something, to be respected, to be looked up to. 
And regardless of how you get to it, whether it's through money or fame or fortune, but it, it takes an entirely different kind of person to take the second place, take the last place. And let me tell you, your reward in heaven is great. And you may not experience the accolades now. People will look at you funny, but you'll be respected because it is a power that is unlike any other power. To try and exalt yourself is natural. Everybody wants to do that. Everybody is striving for that. But it takes a much stronger person to humble yourself and to say, you know what, I'm not going to be like everybody else. Why would you want to be like anybody else anyway? Do you really want to be a cookie cutter? Or has God made you unique and individual, as the Bible tells you that he has? Let your uniqueness be who you are in Christ, under the influence of his spirit, the Holy Spirit. Let him take control of you. Jesus said, if you want to be great in my kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. Learn to be last. Learn to be least. In Proverbs, it says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Have you ever seen anybody who's so lifted up in pride? It's only a matter of time. You can almost hear the clock ticking from the moment that their, their cards are going to come falling down. It happens to every single one who exalts himself. God says, I will... Humble those who exalt themselves, and I will exalt those who humble themselves. I think I'd rather be exalted when I'm humbled, <laughs> when I purposely humble myself. Let God exalt you, because then there's no shame. There's no shame. So if you are prone to pride, beware. And again in Proverbs verse 6 and verse 16, it says this, These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. Notice the very first one, a proud look. A proud look. A lying heart. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. And pride is exactly what got Satan into all of his trouble. Turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 14. We're just going to look at verses 12 through 15. But Isaiah here in this passage is speaking to the king of Babylon at that time, which was Sennacherib. Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't come on the scene for another hundred or so more years. So he's speaking here, prophesying about the pomp and the pride of Sennacherib, the king of Babylon. And verses 1 through 11 are basically God speaking to the man himself, Sennacherib. But then something interesting happens in verse 12. God, through the prophet, again, verse 1 through 11, speaking to, the, to Sennacherib himself, and now, right in the middle, God switches gears, and then he starts talking about something else. He says, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Does that sound like he's talking to Sennacherib anymore? No. So what is he doing? What is God doing here? He's speaking about the power behind the throne. Do you know that every throne that you see in the world, there's a power behind that throne. It's either of God or it's of Satan. So God starts to address the real power behind Sennacherib. And he says, O Lucifer, how are you fallen from heaven, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations? For you have said in your heart, and here's the Satan's pride. This is what got Lucifer booted he says i will ascend into heaven i will exalt my throne above the stars of god i will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north i will ascend above the heights of the clouds i will be like the most high 
And I love how the Holy Spirit comes in and says, yet you shall be brought down to hell, to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. God addressing Satan, the power behind the throne. But pride is what caused Lucifer to be lifted up. He said, therefore, in verse 6, back in First uh, Peter now, he said, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that you may exalt, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. I love what it says that Solomon in Ecclesiastes had this to say. He says, don't be rash with your mouth and let your heart let not your heart utter anything hastily before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. <laughs> That's kind of interesting, isn't it? God is in heaven and here am I on earth. Is it, is it good for me to boast? Is it good for me to think that I'm something when I, when I forget my creator, the one who breathed life into me in my mother's womb, who formed me in my mother's womb? Is it good for me to boast and, and, and feel proud? No, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he, God, may exalt you in due time. And humility, folks, is a wonderful hallmark of the Christian life, of the Christian faith. Is there humility in your life? Or are you still puffed up in your own pride? Maybe you've got some skill or ability. Maybe you've got some kind of degree behind your name. Be careful that you don't take that gift, that ability, that pedigree, whatever it may be, and allow it to puff you up. Because the devil is seeking to destroy you. And the first century believers whom this letter was addressed to, they needed to hear that. They needed to hear that. That God would exalt them in due time because they were undergoing persecution. And they say in that time in in. In the first century, around you know, 66, 67, when Nero was still alive in Rome, and the emperor, Roman emperor Nero, he was one of the cruelest of the Roman emperors. He would find Christians, and he'd bring them into the Colosseum, and they would tie them to posts. Men and women, tie them to posts, and then they'd lift up these gates on the sides of the Colosseum, and everybody would be cheering for this blood fest they were about to see. And the lions would come out. And they would just tear him to pieces. And it was sport. And he was one of the cruelest, most ungodly men on the earth. So this was a great encouragement for those first century believers. And to know that the Lord cared for them. That they could cast their cares on him. Where do you cast your cares? Do you call your friend? Which it's okay to call a friend. If you've got one good friend in life, they say, you are blessed if you've got one really good friend, but where do you go to when you cast your cares? Do you, do you go to the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you get on your knees? I would encourage you to get on your knees, to humble yourself. You know, so often we know that it's not legalism because, you know, I know I can pray and I can have my feet up on my desk and I can pray and God hears me just as well. But there's something about humbling myself before the one who I know is so much greater than I am, whose shoes I'm not like, as, as John the Baptist said, I'm not even worthy to un, unlatch his shoelaces. I'm not even worthy to, to stand on the ground that he's standing on. That's the God we serve. That's how great and awesome he is. But notice in verse 8, it says, be sober, 
Be vigilant. The idea is be self-controlled and vigilant. Be watchful. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, the diabolos, Satan, the slanderous, murderous entity. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time when Pastor Rob continues our study in 1 Peter. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.